If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. <laughs> oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome back, everybody, to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, we're creeping up on 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. Not that any of this matters. April 6th. Uh, I only say that just for those that uh, are getting this hot and fresh today this is uh i'll be recording and uploading this as we get back to normal following my uh guiding season for the spring conservation order light goose conservation order so uh i previously mentioned it's just it's there's zero time in the day to uh record a podcast much less put together and upload it i mean i might be able to do it if i had more reliable internet um the 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 internet capabilities at the old lake preston motel waldorf astoria believe it or not worse than at my house and to give you some reference doug glimmerveen and patrick patches olson refer to me as dial up dale for a reason (laughs) So, that's just telling you how bad the internet connection is out in uh, Lake Preston, at least at the motel. So, um, getting you consistent content during my guide season out there is just near next to impossible. Um, But hopefully next year I can, through better planning, have some episodes pre-recorded that can keep you filled with content through the month. At least I know I can at least backlog Waterfall Wednesdays. I can backlog normal uh, full-length episodes. The recap and rants, however, they're pretty much impossible. I mean, I guess I could pre-record just some rants, <laughs> but I don't know what's fun in that, right? So anyways, I'll try to be more prepared uh, a year from now, or technically 11 months from now. 
and uh, maybe we can avoid this little vacation for the listeners. It wasn't a vacation for me by any stretch of the imagination. I worked every single day, um, not complaining, actually love it. Uh, but now we're back on track. So let's get into this week's recap and rant. So I'll just recap. Um, I know I did one a little bit ago when I had to run home and take care of my dog. Um, so I'll try. I'll just try to encapsulate the whole season or maybe just touch on the last uh, week or so. Because when I got back to South Dakota uh, from taking care of some stuff at home with, with my ailing dog, um, there wasn't many birds left when I got back out there. Migration had moved. Um, progressed, but there always does seem to be this little like one week gap in between like the main mass and then when the juvies kind of start pushing in. So I kind of thought maybe we were in that zone, and that did seem to be the case. Um, so we but we started, you know, we didn't need as many guides, so people were starting to kind of filter out and we're tearing down spreads you know we didn't need five six spreads you know bring everything down to like two weren't booking as many people and it was looking like maybe i was gonna be done like i I got back out there a week ago friday and then i was like shoot man i might be done by monday (laughs) it's almost not worth coming back out here for this um but as it worked out we started seeing some more birds show up and uh, like I said, we eliminated some fields. Everybody else had things they had to do, you know, get home for Easter or, you know, whatnot. I didn't need to do that, so I stayed on and uh, pretty much was the uh, last Mohican there through this last last week. Um, and it was, you know, that, that part of the migration is, is really hit and miss. You know, you're getting small pockets of birds that move through and you just don't have, you know, you're not seeing the numbers. The challenge with that, like when you do see birds, they generally, you know, you'll you'll get better looks and you'll decoy more of them. But the challenge as far as guiding is communicating that to your clients. Like we might not see much today, you know, hopefully pick up a few. But then tomorrow we could see, you know, a bunch and they're going to and they should decoy good. And that, for the most part, is kind of how it pans out. Um and we, and it did. I mean, we you know we didn't shoot giant piles by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it went. I mean, it was consistent. the the field The field I was in was the, the field that, um, Cody Puller was guiding in, and you'll hear more from Cody later this week on our main episode. But so then when he left. Then I took over his field because he was that field was consistent. Like there was a, a goose died in that field like every day we hunted it. So I was like I felt that was a good place to ride the season out. And pretty much was up until like close to the last weekend and got to a day where we just weren't seeing anything. But then we were hearing about other people shooting, like getting some really good shoots. But they were closer to like main roost areas. So kind of told us not kind of definitely told us we're in that zone now where you have to chase feeds so we're not really set up to chase feeds as far as like with premier flight because you need a small army of people to chase feeds you gotta like you know you need people to set up a spread guide that spread and then while they're doing that there needs to be people 
um, scouting for the next day because you're not ever going to really hunt the same field twice. And perfect example is how this weekend panned out. So we did have a pretty good group of clients on um, for like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so Thursday and Friday were slow. So we're like, we're going to find a feed for Saturday. And uh, so we did. We got on a feed. So we set up early Saturday morning, and then sun comes up, and we proceed to have a pretty good shoot. Um, don't recall the exact amount of birds that we got, but it was double digits. Uh, oh, it was 29. That's a, I, I do remember that because we were like, oh, are you kidding me? There's not one more out in this field we didn't find to get us to that 30 mark. So we shot 29 birds, which, again, we're not talking hundreds here, but it was compared to what we had been shooting, that, that was pretty good. And uh, it was a ton of fun. Just a shitload of ducks around, too. I mean, it was it was everything that I love about the spring conservation order. Like, watching that spring migration, it was so much fun. And the birds were working, and we got to do some shooting. Uh, it was a ton of fun. And so then, you know, it was warm that day. You pretty much take most of the middle part of the day off because nothing moves. It's I mean, you can stay out there if you want and enjoy the sunshine, get a get a nice face burn, but you're really not going to see much for birds to shoot at. So we get back out there for the evening hunt, and we shoot some more birds. But you can definitely tell these birds were much more, that we had shot into these birds already. Like, they were much more skittish. They would approach the blind, looks like everything good, and then they start getting a little, you could just, you could just read their body language. They weren't, they were just very tentative about coming in. But we did manage to, as Dean would say, capture a few more. Um, and I think we, total day was like 40-something, I don't know, 47, 45, I don't remember what it was, but um, a pretty good day. And so our last two clients uh, had them for Sunday morning, just for half day. And so we get back out there in the field, and clearly birds have moved on. We like right away. I knew it wasn't going to be as good because the the ducks, the amount of ducks, like it was. There was just a handful of ducks flying around versus hundreds the day before, and we did see some snows, not very many. They were really short stopping, like not even. I can't even really say they were short stopping, but they were getting up out the lake and landing the field that was like bordering the lake, and that's where they. So they just like adapted to that hunting pressure. We're like, we're not. This is close enough. We're just going to go right here. But even what we saw, just, again, a fraction of the numbers that we had the day before. So I have a feeling that birds migrated uh, overnight and just kind of pushed out of the area. And we ended up shooting two. They just came in, singles that came in, you know, I mean, they came in to die. They, they, were, they had already made up their mind, pretty much. Um, and so that that was the season. It was uh, fun. Uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of ups and downs with weather, and I do think that that snowstorm, if you listen to the last recap and ramp, really messed things up for our area. We weren't even supposed to get that much. We're like we're in that one to three inch range, and then wake up to eight inches and drifting everywhere. I mean, the panel blind I was hunting out of one half it was at, literally filled to the top with snow. It was just unreal. Um, so and. <laughs> There wasn't as much snow to the east, there wasn't as much snow to the north, and there wasn't as much snow to the west. So it's like 
birds are able to like spread out and find and we did get a little bit of like what people call reverse migration which is just instead of moving north they're moving south we did get some of that so you're hoping that they would then push back when the weather finally broke and we get south winds again that they would start you know pushing up and we just didn't see that well i think what happened is that they just went around our area because our area was the only area that had that deep snow and just this year never really experienced that main mass where you know to the east you see a giant 30,000 bird feed to the north there's a 30,000 bird feed to the west there's a 30,000 bird feed and there's just trading back and forth and all that stuff now i will say even when you see that it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pile up birds because now you're competing with tens of thousands of actual live birds versus your thousand two thousand decoy spread right so just because you're seeing a lot of birds doesn't mean you're going to shoot a lot of birds. However, I'm just, as just a note of how the season was, like I just never really experienced that this year, which makes me believe that they did go around because my buddy Flotty was hunting in southern North Dakota, and he had piles of geese around him. Perfect case in point. They didn't really shoot them. I just said they they won't decoy at all. But of course, they were just going right to the live birds. That's the problem with hunting around that many actual live birds. Um, but that told me that 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 mass was up there, and we never, we just never saw them. So obviously, they went around us. So that was that. Uh, highlights of the season for sure. I would say the number one highlight of the season was the bachelor party, the Wisco boys that came out, um, and we got a band the very first night. That was pretty fun. And then there was some epic drinking. Um, <laughs> not much epic sleeping, however. Uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. There. <laughs> I expected more. Let's just put it that I expected more out of Wisconsin people to be able to drink heavily, still get up, and go hunting the next day. And so the first morning after drinking heavily, uh, only two of the six came out and now to be fair there probably would have been three but there needed to be a sober driver to get the other two drunk people out <laughs> so they eventually got to the field um and then the last day nobody made it to the field and as what always happens when i don't have clients birds decoy beautifully and uh, i was out there you know waiting for them and shot five birds myself just screwing around so that means you know and i wasn't doubling up in flocks so that means i had five flocks do it really good that would have been nice to have a bunch of guns out there so but that's how it goes this is why you gotta get up but uh they did the call of shame and said yeah we're not gonna make it <laughs> had a lot of fun with those guys though uh so that was fun and overall, just a successful trip as far as uh, interacting with clients goes. Um, went another year without actually having any real bad clients. Um, don't really have too many complaints. Uh, made some new connections, which is always great. Uh, alerted a few new people to uh, the existence of the podcast. So that's always good. And ever expanding that network. So. I would say it was it was a short, it seemed like a very short season this year. Um, didn't feel like great to me as far as numbers go. I'd have to go back and look at my record this, uh, from last last year. Uh, but I don't know. I'll have to 
have to just wait and see, I guess. Ah, now what? Now what am I going to do? <laughs> it's like early spring. We're definitely going to have an early spring. I'm looking out my window. Green grass right now, uh, beginning of April. So who knows when the morels will start popping. I kind of suspect. I mean, maybe we'll be. I mean, for one, it's spring in Minnesota. We are still not out of the woods for getting two feet of snow. I mean, it, it could happen that fast. I don't see anything in the near future forecast that anything like that, but it definitely could happen. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath on that. But I would kind of think that maybe we'll get a, a slightly earlier morel season. But with that said. Uh, Going back in previous years, it almost doesn't. It, it seems like we get the heart of the morel season here in Minnesota is pretty much mid-May through early June. That's when you know Memorial Weekend is pretty much like the last hurrah for morels. It seems to be pretty consistent, uh, no matter what the weather. So it'll be this will be an interesting year case study to see if we actually get um, an earlier. Like you're always gonna get some fringe, like some really early reports from somebody somewhere, southern Minnesota, south facing slope, something like that. Somebody will report like super early, but I'm talking like you can consistently go out and find them. That kind of like peak of the season seems to happen the same time every year. So we'll we'll see if if that slides a week earlier or not. Kind of be interested in that. Turkey hunting this year. Um, I guess it depends on how much I pour myself into morel hunting, if how much time I'm going to give turkey hunting this year. I kind of sort of tried. I mean, I tried more than I ever had tried last year, and I did have some run-ins, but never actually loosed an arrow. I got some ideas for this time around. I got some opportunities for better land. I could go down around Rochester and hunt them down there, probably stand a pretty good chance of actually getting one. But I'm still kind of wanting to, I kind of want to get one off public land and these pressured birds and figure, and just for the challenge. And there's more bragging rights, right? If I can go out here and do it to heavily pressured hunting grounds and I can get a turkey out of there, to me that's worth way more than going down to private land, which is almost a for sure thing, right? I mean... Sure, I got one, but that's the whole reason I use a bow and not a gun. And you guys have heard me tell this a zillion times, but I've never shot a wild turkey. Had I been using a gun, I would have been more, I would have been successful more times than I wasn't, which is exactly why I don't use a gun. So that's just me personally. I don't care. I don't give a shit what you do. Go, go ahead and shoot him with a gun. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that or diminishing that at all. I just personally like the challenge of. Trying to get one with the bow. That's the goal I set for myself. So more than likely, I'm going to stick to that goal. And as I'm talking through it, I probably will just continue to do the, the public land thing. One, it's closer. It's like pretty much right out my back door. Um, and two, I just think it's going to be more fulfilling when I finally get it done. I think once I get that part done, actually, and this might seem backwards, maybe I'll be more inclined to do the private land for sure hunt kind of a thing. Like I just want to proved myself that I can get this done within the parameters that I want to get it done and then you know then maybe the pressure will be off and I'll just go and hunt turkeys like a, like a normal person uh, who knows we'll see uh, probably will go run and set my annual just a few beaver traps out there get myself a, a nice beave for for dinner 
or two. Um, and then, yeah, people are fishing. Uh, ice is gone in a lot of smaller lakes already. It's going to be gone on the big lakes here pretty soon. If it's, I guess if it's not already, I haven't really checked in on the lakes, but I got to assume that that lake is real close to being gone. It was 80 degrees yesterday here. I mean, it's only going to be in the 60s today, but windy, so still plenty warm, and that wind will help chew up that ice. So we are definitely going to have an earlier-than-normal ice out. It'll be interesting to see how the opener is for Minnesota because the, you know, the walleyes and the pike will be in a different uh, transition. Is that the right word? Um, different pattern than normally. Like right after ice out, they're going to be, you know, the, the pike will be well spawned out, which they usually are. But even the, the walleyes might be well spawned out. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how opener goes. For those of you not from Minnesota Wisconsin, most every other state, when we mention opener, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> we actually have, like, our walleye and pike season, bass season closes down and then opens back up. And it's this huge traditional thing. Um, I don't know. Some people want to keep it that way. I kind of see, like, what's the point? And I get the traditional part of it. Why not make it a state holiday? And you could say, I don't know, you could put some special something around there to, to keep people, to keep that tradition part alive. But for those that don't want to wait, like, why not just go fishing? Every other state around us doesn't have an opening, and their populations are fine. So, I don't know. Seems kind of, seems kind of archaic to me at this point. Um, but that's I'm, I'll, I'll leave that. That's not my rant for today. Um, I guess I don't have that strong of an opinion one way or the other. It just kind of, just kind of seems silly when you compare it to other states. You know what I mean? So, I don't know, that's what's, uh, there's kind of the recap, there's the preview of stuff to come, what you can expect. Um, on my way through yesterday, I swung into Hutch and uh, recorded a podcast with Mr. Joe Heinz, so stay tuned for that one, that'll probably drop next week. Um, I got some interesting people uh, on the hook, I just gotta schedule, um, get those scheduled and actually do it. And so that's going to be uh, definitely a main goal to keep reaching out and getting good content and trying to hook some bigger names and trying to get some different contact or uh, content um, than, than your typical upper Midwest outdoors podcast. Um, that is definitely my goal. Hopefully I can do some small traveling. I don't know. There's an outside chance. It's not, it's, I mean, it's a slim chance that I might actually hit the road for morels and try to make money actually harvesting them and selling them, which would give me a chance to get some out-of-state guests on. But the problem with that, the caveat, is that my dog still isn't doing that well. You know, she has good days, she has bad days, and I just don't think I'm going to be able to be gone for long periods of time. We're in this final stage of her life it could be weeks it could be months i don't know so we're gonna kind of have to judge that um just take it as the days come i mean if if i now that i'm back we'll kind of use this week to see how she's progressing see if i think you know we probably have quite a few months with her so i don't have to really worry about it too much um then maybe i'll do that maybe i'll take a a couple weeks and hit the road and, and see if i can't make some money at this mushroom harvest thing um but if not then I'll I'll stick close to home and we'll do uh 
nearby outdoor doorsy stuff. So, all right, there's your recap and preview, apparently. Um, let's get to the rant. So we just recently had the DNR had the uh, Minnesota DNR had their um, like virtual town hall for proposed changes to the waterfall season. And uh, something popped up on the old Facebook pages that kind of surprises me. So one of the things that people have been talking about for the longest time is getting an early teal season here in Minnesota. And actually, I remember the first time it was proposed or the feds were going to allow it, we didn't get one. And everybody ran the DNR through the mud like, uh, you're not representing actual hunters, blah, blah, blah. Well, now that we actually more than likely will get a teal season, now I'm hearing people bitch about having a teal season and they don't think we should have one. And I'm like, what? This is why I keep saying, like, the DNR has an impossible job. You know, the, the DNR is not out there to wreck your hunting experience, people. Stop viewing the DNR, the do-nothing-right, the whatever. Like, they're not the enemy, guys. Like, they're... Believe it or not, <laughs> they're generally com- comprised of hunters and fishermen to, they want the best hunting and fishing that we can get. That's, that's literally, that's their job. They're, they are on our side. So let's stop demonizing them. They have this impossible job of placating hunters and also placating non-hunters because it, it, the DNR's job isn't just about people that hunt and fish. It's people that hit the trails for mountain biking, parks, picnics, backpacking, rock climbing. It's all those outdoor recreations. That falls under the umbrella of the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, not the Department of Hunting and Fishing. All right? So they have a lot they have to balance. So with that said, we have this early teal season that more than likely we are going to get, and I am, for one, all in favor of it, 100% in favor of it. So I get in this debate with on Facebook with a couple people, and they start using just, in my opinion, their arguments are ridiculous. And they're using very hyperbolic wording, very much like any other political topic, right? And so they use the same tools. So I'm guaranteed, because these guys are hardcore waterfallers, that they have probably got into it with... Anti-hunters, uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that they lean more towards red states than blue states in their political voting, and I guarantee you that they you know, will get in a pissing match with more blue states, but they're using the same tools and the same rhetoric, basically, to argue their stance against this teal hunt. And I'll give you an example. In dealing with a couple of these gentlemen in this thread, and I don't know, maybe they listen to the podcast. I don't know. If you're listening to this, good. I'm going to try to explain um, why you're ridiculous. And if that pisses you off and I lose a subscriber, hell, so be it. That doesn't change the facts. They would use terms like, it's going to destroy the wood duck population. Now, can you get? Can you use any more hyperbole than that? Because they're assuming that all hunters are 
bad at bird identification. That they can't tell the difference between a teal and a wood duck. You should be able to. They're really not that similar. They fly totally different. They're shaped totally different. Um, you should definitely be able to tell. And just that, that how they... My main issue with it is their wording. Going to destroy the wood duck population. We don't destroy the wood duck population when we actually are targeting them on purpose throughout our 60-day season. Now, we all know that we don't get wood ducks for the full 60 days because they migrate out. However, your first few weeks or your first 30 days, whatever, we're not destroying the population. There's plenty of studies out there that can prove to you that hunter harvest has a very negligible overall impact on population. So incidental take from misidentification is going to be even a less impact on overall populations. So stop using words like destroy, all right, to to argue your point that you don't think we should have a teal season. You have some like sort of negative connotations that other hunters, not you of course, other hunters can't identify birds, which I think is just bullshit. Well, it is bullshit because the the facts the facts are there. If you look at you can go online and go to just your Google box there and and type in uh early teal season non-target species or you you'll get a bunch of different articles. And then Wisconsin did a big, long study on it. And it's they have a bunch of people out there. One of their arguments is like, well, who's going to report shooting the wrong species? Well, well, nobody. That's not the They weren't asking people to report that. They We have actual, like, volunteers and conservation officers out there that would, they conducted these observations, they had these observation teams. And what they found in their three-year study is here. here's what we had. Parties in violation in uh, 2014, six. In 2015, so let's see, number of observations, 44 in 2014. Parties in complete compliance, 38. Parties in violation, six. In 2015, there was 40. Parties in violation, zero. In 2016, parties in observation, 31. Parties in violation, four. So it really, people really aren't shooting non-target species. So I think you need to give other hunters credit. And with numbers as low as that, they are not going to destroy anything. Now the other thing you get is oh here let's go down into the actual citations uh let's go on some of these so not so some of these citations remember we're going off compliance here like parties in violation it didn't say in violation for what so now we'll break it down what the violations was so in 2014 they had 29 citations um, 13 were hunting before or after hours. Four were from an unplugged 
firearm. Six were from lead shot. I can't believe people are still hunting with lead shot. That is ridiculous. Five people hunting without licenses or a stamp. I don't know what this one is. Two in open water hunting. Oh, they weren't partially concealed in vegetation. That was one. One failed to retrieve game. One from hunting from a motorboat or rallying, probably chasing down a cripple, if we're being honest. Three possessor transport uh, a loaded gun in a motorboat. And two other was miscellaneous. Like, I actually don't see. Oh, no. Okay. I lied. I was looking at this. I was looking at this. Uh, chart wrong there were 66 total citations in uh, 2014 29 of those were take attempt to take migratory game birds during a closed season or to take protected birds so that's 29 of the 66 are shooting basically shooting non-target birds less than half and then you have all those other ones and then in 2015 it was 51 citations and 22 were those that to take in a or attempt to take migratory game species that are protected. And in 2016, it was 50 and 21. So it actually looks like we're getting much better at uh, at identifying. So reason for the study is to see because if, if it was bad, they would have shut it down, and it's not bad. So your argument about destroying the wood duck population is 100% demonstrably false now the other argument you get is that it's going to ruin duck hunting because it's going to force them to migrate earlier hunting pressure does not drive migration get that through your skulls the same thing people said about we're going to allow early goose season hunters to hunt water you heard the exact same arguments and now that we've been doing it for a long time you must know that to be false the only thing that dictates actual migration like moving from state to state north to south is calendar and weather and maybe you could throw in there food availability it is not hunting pressure Hunting pressure will move them around, but they will find places of sanctuary that don't get as much pressure nearby. It doesn't go, oh, we got shot at, let's go to Arkansas. I mean, the only time I would say that they're going to move state to state, if you happen to be hunting on the border, (laughs) and it's a small jump, and technically they move to another state. It's not happening. I don't know where you get this, but there is plenty of... Actually, I shouldn't say there's plenty of data online because I actually went looking for it, and the only studies I found were studies that talk about how they find places of refuge and that a good way to prolong your hunting season or keep it better is to not beat on those same birds day in and day out, day in and day out. And so you need places of refuge, whether if you have private land, you can do that yourself voluntarily, or if it's public land, obviously, then we need to have refuges set up, which thankfully we do have. And then there's incidental refuges, like in-town places that you can't legally hunt, golf courses, parks, you know, et cetera. Like, they're going to find those places. They're not moving states away. So 
stop with that narrative of we're driving migration because we're just it's just not true. And these two gentlemen that I was arguing with would not see logic. They didn't care. They already knew it. There was no changing their mind. And they're using that hyperbolic language. So basically, to put this as bluntly as I can, you you want to to not have a teal season because you're worried about something that's actually unscientific. It's not going to happen. You know what you are? You're the mask shamers of the duck hunting world. You're sitting there pounding your chest, yelling at other people for doing something you think is bad that isn't actually bad. You're spreading fear without backing it up with anything that you're going to ruin the duck season. Wear your mask. The, you're a masker. What, what can I? What can I? You might, you're probably one of the first people to run out and get the vaccine. <laughs> I'm just saying, like because you're using the same tactics. You're arguing. Your argument tactics are the exact same. You're not based in facts. You're based in your feelings, your emotion, what you think happens, and then you're using hyperbolic language and and being sensational and trying to get your point across. And then when you are actually um, forced to look at certain facts, you just ignore those facts and say, well, I'm right. I've seen it. Well, then you've perceived it wrong. So I'm just telling you, you got a supercomputer in your pocket. Use it. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. But you're wrong. I'm just going to put it that way. You're wrong. So there you go, everybody. There's your weekend recap and rant. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I am back. We will get back on track with uh, consistent uh, episodes and content. Looking very forward to that. And, uh, man, spring's here. Get out there and enjoy it. That's that is, uh, that's all I got for you guys. All right. Peace out. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.